Today we're going to talk about this title, being sons or being slaves. And really what I want to point out here today is that there's a big difference in serving God as a, as a son who serves him versus uh, being a slave that serves him. Or just, if you want to put it in more modern day terms, a worker or an employee that serves him um, or that works for him. And so I understand, you know, that all throughout scriptures, we are encouraged to serve God and be servants of God. But really what, what makes all the difference is the disposition from which you serve God. Are you serving God as a son or are you serving him as a worker or as a slave? And, and I really believe that this can be a game changer for many of us who are struggling to find intimacy with God, struggling to know how... Um, how do I relate to him, you know, uh, as, as a person? How do, I, how do I accept him for who he is as, as Father God and not just as Creator God, not just as, you know, God Almighty, the, you know, the, the, the ruler of the universe, but, but how do I say my Father who, who lives in heaven? Hallowed be your name. And so, um, you know, when you serve God from the position of a son, you experience your walk with him as a delight. In fact, it comes from a desire to please him and obey him. But if you don't, you experience Christianity often as a duty, as something that you have to do um, to kind of, you know, avert certain imminent realities and danger. Uh, but really God desires for us to serve him, not from a sense of duty, but really from a sense of desire. God wants us to experience the joy and the peace of walking with him in a relationship not just in a you know a form of worship a, tradi a tradition of worship which is often referred to as a religion sometimes we feel that christianity restricts us uh, in my young christian days when i was a christian as a teenager i often felt man this christian walk is so restrictive you know I can't do this and I can't do that and I want to do this and I want to do that, but I'm not allowed to do it. And so I, I used to be very committed as a teenager, as a Christian, but I often felt that, man, I wished I could just go out and do certain things, but I couldn't because, you know, I'm a Christian. God hates it when we experience our walk with Him like that because it tells Him that we haven't actually walked into sonship. We haven't understood really what the gospel is all about. And he wants to help us today. I believe that um, he wants us to, to walk with him as sons and each and every one of us to know how to do that. So if you walk as a son, your walk with God can be the greatest adventure, the greatest thrill, the biggest journey, the greatest discovery of, of, of all time. Uh, but if you continue to work with God as a worker or as a, with a slave mentality, then you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if you kind of checked out at some point and felt maybe um, like this. Maybe, you know, you felt that you know, Christianity is just too hard. It's, 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 it's too many rules to obey, too many, you know, uh, too many things that I have to remember to do. Um, you know, it's, 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 I don't think, life should be lived that way and, and that's just too much and so I'm, I'm checking out and um, 
I really think that it's important for us to realize that there is a real enemy out there and his desire is to destroy our relationship with God. Um, he does not like the fact that we have been reconciled with God in Christ Jesus. And so he will try anything to get us to cool down in our passion for Jesus. He will try anything to get us to go back to a place of distance. Remember the Bible says, what does sin do? Sin, what, what does it do between us and God? Sin separates us from God. It creates distance between us and God. And, and so we know we all were born in sin. And so we, we all were born separated from God. We were not his children. But then Jesus came and he made a way that's possible for us to become the children of God. And Bible declares in uh, John 1 verse 12 that, you know, to all who believed, he has given the right to be called children of God. So if you believe in Jesus Christ's work on the cross, you have the right to call yourself a child of God. You no longer have to call yourself a sinner. You can call yourself a child of God that's been forgiven of your sin. And there's a big difference because it's not just uh, um, the reality of, of being a child of God is not simply the same you just trying to do things better. It's actually the fact that, that you became, it's a new you that you're talking about. And if you're just the same you trying to do things better, you will want to continue to acknowledge, yeah, you know, I'm just a sinner, uh, but I'm trying. But if you realize that when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you, you become recreated as a child of God, then it's like a bit of an insult to God if you continue to call yourself a sinner. Because what's, what's all that reborn things? Where did where, 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 all that go to now? It's a bit of a you know, slap in the face of, you know, he has created you new. And the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that all things have become new. You have become a new being. Your nature has changed from being um, in uh, enmity to God. You know, it's, you're God's enemy. To now you are part of his family. Something radically different has changed. And we have to acknowledge that. And that's why he says, therefore now I've given you the right to call yourself a child of God. You can see yourself as righteous. You're allowed to do that. You can see yourself and be certain of the fact that he has forgiven you and that your place in his family is secured. And we read in the Bible of all the, the Holy Spirit that was given to us as a seal, as a guarantee, almost as a down payment of the full reality that's going to come. And because we received the Spirit of God in our hearts, now that the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 16 says, testifies with us it agrees with us so if you have to ask yourself am i a child of god what do you hear echo in your heart you hear echo yeah i'm a child of god that's the spirit of god on the inside of you reminding you and agreeing with you that you are in fact born again created anew if you don't get that testimony on the inside of your heart we have to talk because god wants you to become his son but you can't become his son by just being you that tries to do better Jesus didn't come for bad people to make them good. He came to make dead people alive. And that means that there has to shift something in your heart still. You have to put your trust in Jesus and bank on his work, not your own performance, in order to get saved. But when you get there, you become a child of God, very definitely. And God wants us to not stay stuck in, you know, the mindset of, okay, I am um, I'm not victorious. I still am, you know, um, uh, I'm just uh, focus on all the things that we're not and help us to start focusing on what we are 
Because when you focus on that, you start living from that perspective and living from that reality. And so you produce a different result in your life. You're not going to get rid of sin by focusing on sin the whole time. You're going to get rid of sin by realizing that's not who I am anymore. This is who I am. It's like I am no longer a person that freaks out and, you know, tunes people out and cuss at them. That's not who I am. Trying to stop cussing is difficult. But reimagining yourself as a person who has a good thing to say to everybody, even in people who are, you know, uh, offending, uh, offending me, I am a person that bless people even though they curse me. Seeing yourself like that in the moment makes you all of a sudden react different and your knee-jerk reactions even become that of non-cussing. But you're never going to stop. Like your knee-jerk reaction is your knee-jerk reaction. If you hit your th- thumb with a, with a hammer, you know, you hear what your knee-jerk reaction is, right? Um, you know your heart has shifted. Your identity, your, th- your thought about yourself has shifted when that happens. And instead of going, oh, blankety blank, you go, Gah! or you have a different way, you know, of expressing the utter agony <laughs> that you're currently experiencing in that minute. But that is how we change. We change by seeing ourselves as God sees us and declares over us. So which one of these scenarios kind of uh, apply to you? Have, you? have you maybe asked yourself in life, you know, why is Christianity so hard? Or you maybe, you know, kind of you've, um, you've backslid. You've, you've, you've lost your faith in God for a while, but you're, you're kind of on the comeback and you're trying to, you know, just give it another try. Or maybe you're, you're about to kind of give up because you've, You've just like, man, I, I don't think this is working for me, this whole, you know, um, trying, to, trying to do good and be good and look good because honestly, you know, what's the point even? Because I'm not getting it. Um, what, if, what, if it what if you're in a place where, you know, you're a brand new believer and you just want to get closer to God and committed to God? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to walk into intimacy with God? I want to talk about these things today. Um, maybe you've been a long time Christian. And you just don't get the hype anymore. Like, you know, I used to be like that. But you know what? I know how it goes. I know how to, you know, check the boxes. And, and this is kind of, I don't need to change anymore. I don't need to grow anymore, you know. I know I'm saved. So, you know, what's the buzz about? And lastly, maybe you're so committed that you've come to a point of pride that you kind of feel yourselves better than other people who aren't serving as well as you are or as hard as you are. Um, you you kind of you kind of look at other people and go like, man, if they will just do X, Y, and Z, you know if you're in any of these scenarios that I just mentioned, you're really in danger of, 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 of experiencing God not as a son, but as a worker, as a slave, um, as, a, as a person who has not been uh, included in a familial um, relationship, but more as one who has been enrolled as a, with, 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 with a, you know, you have a job to do. And uh, I really believe that many of us are, are struggling with intimacy with God issues. We don't know how to have intimacy with God. We don't know how to express ourselves to God, how to use something that we all have, which is emotion, which God created, uh, and uh, which we are commanded, love the Lord your God with your soul, your mind, and all your strength, which includes your emotions and your will, your desire. Um, We don't know how to do that. And mostly it's because we have not stepped out of a interaction with God from a point of religion or a point of, you know, I have a duty to be here. 
and to do this. And so today I feel God wants to help us to really put that aside and embrace our sonship. So let me say something about the word son. God in the Bible expresses his desire for us to move into a particular relationship with him. And he describes that as being sonship. It's not a term that denotes gender. Okay, It's a term that denotes disposition of maturity. And so when the Bible goes, when the Bible calls you a son, it's not confusing gender issues. Okay, It's actually calling you into a place of a mature relationship with Jesus Christ, where you and Jesus look much the same. Your character has been, his character has become your character. It's a place of maturity. But the Bible also talks about children of God. And in John 1, the one that I quoted, he gave you the right to be called children of God. The word there for children isn't mature child. It's actually an infant child. It's an infant child, but it's also an ignorant child. It's also a selfish child. It's a child that's focused on its needs. How many of you know that you know, kids know their needs? Mom, can I have this? Dad, can I have that? Will you do this? Will you do that? I need this. I need that. Many of us are like that with God. You know, we come to God with our shopping list, and, and the only interaction we have with Him is when we tell Him what we need. Uh, or when we have a crisis, and, and we, have, we, need, we need Him to solve the crisis for us. Uh, and that's when we approach Him all of a sudden. God wants a, a different relationship with us. He wants us to, he wants to look after us. He wants to provide all of our needs and he wants to provide the desires of our hearts that are going to promote you know, us to live according still to his plan and purpose. Um, but he doesn't want to be Santa Claus. You know, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want to be uh, approached with a shopping list. He wants to be approached like you would approach um, your father as a mature son that cares for the father back. Do you care for God? Do you bother about how he feels about stuff? Did you even know that God can feel things that you do and it affects him? The Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Does that bother you? These are all questions that we need to ask ourselves to assert um, whether I'm walking in sonship or whether I am still just an infant child that that needs to grow and that god wants to grow but god loves dearly and he's not going to reject but he's going to call that forth from us so um i want to read us a scripture verse from galatians a couple of scripture verses from galatians well we'll start in verse five five verse one excuse chapter five verse one because it just it just says something about the purpose for which jesus came and and really what the effects of walking in sonship relationship that he desires for us to experience. God wants this for you. It says in verse 1, freedom is what we have because Christ has set us free. Now, often we read the Bible and we think of this and we're like, mm, I, I see what it says there. It says Christ has set us free. I don't feel free yet. And then we take our reality and we kind of judge scripture and say, well, you know, that can't be right. It must mean God will one day set us free. The Bible is not written with errors, guys. It means that if it says you have been set free, he has set us free, that in fact you are free. But something needs to switch around in your perspective of you that helps you experience that in your current day reality. And this is important to know because that's where faith kicks in. We'll talk another day about how to you know, walk that faith journey. But the bottom line is, you have been set free from your slavery. And then it encourages us to say, stand free then. Stand as free people and do not allow yourselves to become slaves again. And in this sense, 
the context was that the Galatians was trying to, through, the, through um, uh, you know, compliance to the law, to perfect their walk with God. In other words, they were going into all things that they needed to. They were focusing on the do's and the do nots of, uh, of, of the law um, to perfect their relationship with God. And God is saying, no, I don't want you to start operating like that anymore. There is a higher existence from which to know what I want for your life. And if you will live from that existence, you will experience freedom. Christianity will not be a restriction to you. It will not be bondage to you. It will not kind of prevent you or withhold things from you. It will release life over you. How many of you would like to be in a relationship like that? The reason why we often don't get it is because we've been given bad examples. Um, first one is just, you know, some, 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 of our, some of us have walked with parents, earthly parents, that really never walked a spiritual journey with God. Uh, some have, some haven't. And we, do, we don't have perfect examples. That's what I'm trying to say. And we need to realize that so that we don't take what we've been, received, what we've been given from our, from our parents as being the be-all and end-all of God's desire for our lives. We have to realize there's more. We have to realize that God has more in mind for each and every one of us than what our parents could ever and what I as a parent will ever be able to tell and show my kids. I hope that they will know one day that I, even though I've been in ministry all my life, have not been a perfect example to them of God's father heart. Which means that I have to look to Scripture to find God's perfect desire for my life. I have to seek Him in Scripture to see what all He means for me and, 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 and how to obtain it, right? The second thing is that, you know, Christianity has for a very long time just been a set of rules and traditions that we follow. And it's only in more recent days that we recaptured the heart of God, which is relationship, not religion, that we have been given a model of Christianity that is very much just a slave mentality. I can't and I shouldn't, I have to or I must. And so God wants us to have sonship. He wants us to have that intimate relationship with Him. But we can never get it through even the Christian themed religion. Religion is kind of brutal because it's like putting that carrot in front of the horse, putting a plow on the horse, this is what you got to do to get it, and then you know, flogging that horse to pursue that carrot, but he, he never, we know he never gets the carrot, right? And that's kind of how religion is. It's always promising, but never producing. It always tells us that, you know, this is going to help you, this is going to help you, but it rarely does. And God wants to really let his breakthrough, his freedom, his help reach us. And that's why he doesn't even subscribe to religion. He subscribes to relationship, a personal relationship with each and every one of us. Um, and uh, because of that, the walk with Him is no longer, you're not, you're not able to experience that walk with Him if you just see yourself as a worker, a slave with a slave mentality. You can only see God and what He wants for you if you experience Him as a father and you start seeing yourself as His son. God is not looking for effort. God is looking for faith. He's looking for your trust. He's looking for you to just follow Him. And when He says left, you go, yes, Lord, I'll go left. You don't go, well, you know, we always go right here, right? 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like the Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And again, it uses the word for son, which talks about a mature child of God. God wants each and every one of us to come to that place where we are led by relationship, not, read, not led by laws, not led by do's and don'ts. So when he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, when he says this, I can believe it. You can believe it because you are in fact a son. But many of us will have a hard time believing it because we always just see the have-tos, the do's, the restriction about Christianity. But he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are tired of carrying heavy loads. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Then take my yoke and put it on you and learn from me. The yoke actually signifies the teachings of Christ. What he's saying is, if you take my yoke upon you, what you're doing is you're embracing my ideas. That's how, that's how it used to work back in the day. When a, when, a, when a protege would go to a mentor and say, hey, would you disciple me? He would say, all right, I will yoke you. You will take your, my yoke upon you. In other words, my perspectives and my teachings, my ideas, you will take it upon you to now carry that forth. You and I will do it together. This is my teachings. This is my, this is my agenda. I'm going to put that on you, right? And, and you'll help me carry that into the world. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the symbolic it's using here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in spirit. And you will find rest. Not, not exhaustion. Not like, oh my goodness, I can't go on. I can't keep doing this you will find rest. And then it says, for the yoke I'll give you is easy and the load I put on you is light. God's load, the load of Christianity is not heavy. It's actually very light. It's actually a joy to carry. It's actually awesome to be free like what we are if, we're, if, you're, if you're living like a son because you know that you have found rest and you know that certain things are in place that you don't have to try for anymore. You don't have to obtain it anymore. You have obtained acceptance. You have obtained affirmation. God is, God is happy about you. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that proves that. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says that God, and if you go study the original text and the meanings of all those funky languages, what you learn is that God rejoices over you with singing you can read that verse, what it really means is God makes a happy dance about you. Every time he thinks about you, he makes a happy dance. In fact, it means he spins around with uncontrollable joy. Think about that. That's how God feels about you. He loves you. He's mad about you. And, and he wants that yoke to be upon you. So that when you think about him, you want to do that, the happy dance. When you think about what he has for you, you go like, whoa, let's go. This is going to be an adventure. This is going to be awesome. Not like, oh my goodness, that is going to be the death of me. That's the, that's the kind of mentality. That's the, that's the idea that he's trying to convey here. If you take my yoke and my way on you fully and you live from the identity of being a son, this all becomes pleasure. This becomes pleasure. So, um, and then that becomes impactful. How many of you have seen people in life that you thought of yourself, Christians, that you're like, man, I, I wish I had what that guy had. 
I wish I, I wish I could get, get it like he gets it. I've many times I thought to myself, man, I need like, I need something like that. I need what's on that guy. And then what I would do is I would just, I, I'd reach out. Like, honest to God, this week I called a guy. Uh, I've never, he's a South African living in, in Texas. Uh, um, and we have a mutual friend who lives in Paris. It's kind of weird, right? And, uh, and anyway, so, so I'm talking with my friend here in Paris. And, you know, we're, we're journeying through things and praying through stuff, etc. And he's always referring to this guy in Texas. And, and then when, when he, he and they, he talk, you know, he's always referring to me. And so, so him and I have never met, never had a conversation, never talked. And uh, um, he said something, my friend in Paris said something about this guy. And I thought to myself, you know what? I need that. I need more of that in my life right now. And, you know, we're in the same time zone, more or less. I can actually talk to him within godly hours of the day. Uh, and I can talk to him in my own language. For those of you, you know, who realize I sound a little different than, than you. I'm not from here. But I called him. And like, it was like an instant connection. Instant connection. And now I have a friend. In fact, we both, you know, we both, we ended the call. It was like, man, it feels like we've just been friends forever. <laughs> Felt like I know you forever. Um, and, and, but it comes from recognizing things that other people are having victory in and then go, let me grab some of that. Let me, let me connect and see if, if that can transfer onto me. Let me see if these perspectives can help me to take, to take some of the load off of me and have a different load on myself so I can win, so that I can have, have victory in my, in my own life as well. And uh, <clears throat> it's so sad when, you know, we, we become born again and we take on, you know, the reality of being a child of God, but we never keep walking in that victory. Come on, guys. God has got so much victory for us, for every aspect of our life. Whatever you're struggling with, God has a solution for that, but you have to actually pursue it. You have to get into it. Um, that's why, uh, you know, Christianity is not meant to be lived halfway. The most miserable person is a person who's a Christian but yet wants to sin. I'll tell you this. The most miserable people aren't people who are not saved. It's people who've become born again but have become friends with the world again and wants to live out of the world. There is no pleasure in sinning after you've become a Christian. It's horrible. It's horrible. It takes everything out of you to try and live that double life. No, Christianity is meant to be hook, line, and sinker. You know, in my language, we say it belly and toes. You know, you have to jump into it belly and toes. Everything needs to go into it. If you do it that way, then you start saying, oh, this is why. This makes sense so much. This is how I get to enjoy this whole thing. But before then, you know what? It's a, it's a duty. You know, it's a, I'm doing this because, you know, I have to. You know, my parents make me go to church, you know. I don't really go because I like to. <laughs> if you don't like coming, man, uh, we need to have a conversation because you're missing out on the greatest journey with God that you've ever had. And, but when we have wrong perspective, it, it makes us feel a certain way that eventually prevents us from actually wanting to come. But if you're a son, you see things differently from a worker. I want to head into that slightly but then I want to read some more scriptures about this. You see, how, have you, how, how many of you have ever had a home office? Like you have an office at home. And, and how many of you had employees, right, that's, that's kind of, you know, at your home office? So um, to various degrees, this might be true for you, but it's, it, the, the principle is clear. Like, you know, when you have a new employee that comes into your, into your office and to, uh, to work for you, uh, and, you know, the, the first day he arrives, you know, 
you find them in your main master bedroom, in your ensuite bathroom, using your toothbrush to brush his teeth. There's going to be a conversation, right? <laughs> that does not happen. But how many of you have had your son or your daughter <laughs> in your master bedroom using your toothbrush to brush their teeth? Yeah, yeah, I've had that, right? And so at first I'm like, why are you doing that? But then after that I think about it, I'm like, Man, that's just cute. That's just awesome. I love that. I love that he has so much freedom in my house. He really sees everything as his. You know? It's like when we're standing here worshiping, you know, um, he, he wants to close my mouth because my breath is bad. And then he goes like, Dad, your breath stinks. And close my mouth, I can't sing. I'm like, wait, I'm singing to Jesus here, man. He's like, yeah, but... <laughs> You know, he just has a right to do anything and everything. But, but, but please, ushers, don't come and lock my mouth up because my breath stinks. Just give me a mint or something, all right? That, well, we can fix that in a different way, but you, 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 don't get that close, right? It's a different thing when you're a son in a household. You see the house and you know that this is mine. And so you, when, now his irresponsible like you know he doesn't pick up a thing you know we have to literally force him come buddy this you have to pick up and that one yes they look the same they're going the same box okay really yes really do it okay it takes effort why because he doesn't see the responsibility and the niceness of having a clean house yet because he's just a child he's an infant immature child but my 10 year old daughter is coming to that place now where she starts seeing things that are like, oh, it's like, oh, this can't go on like that. And then I'll see her start packing things up, you know, putting it in the right place and all that. She's becoming a son. She's becoming a son slowly but surely. Now, there are still days where it's no, you know, sonship is nowhere to be found. But that's the thing is a son and a child operates differently in a household. A child sees every task as a dreadful duty. Oh, I have to take out the trash. Oh, I can't do this, mom. You know what? I'm so tired. A son sees the trash bags full and without being asked, picks it up and takes it out. Why? Because it stinks. I don't want to bring friends into a house that stinks. So I'm going to deal with it. There's a different perspective upon being a child and being a son in a house. But let's see what God says in his word about us. Look, what I'm reading here is reality about you. You don't have to become this. You have to realize that you are this. Jesus has made this possible on your behalf. And if you can just accept it and start viewing yourself as that, you'll actually align your opinion, your self-opinion, your self-view with your current reality if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ. Let's read from Galatians 3. It says, but before faith came talks about jesus and the work that jesus did we were kept in custody under the law talks about the law of moses and all the laws that um, god used to teach israel his way and his standards and the moral um the moral standards that that that, that he is live by and what they needed to that they needed to rise to aspire to being shut up to the faith in other words um they believed in god but that did not help them at that point because they were still under the code of do's and don'ts that def defined whether they were good with God or not. Okay, Faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. What does that sentence mean? It literally means that 
All the law had to do was to show you that you can't work for your, you can't um, earn your own salvation. It's the moral code is too high for a human being to achieve. And therefore, it taught us to look out for the one that will do it on our behalf, which is Christ. So that in him, if we would have faith in him, that might be completed for us. That might be achieved for us through Jesus. He did it on our behalf. So that was the full purpose of the law. It showed humanity that you can't do this without Jesus. And therefore, you need to put your trust in him in order for God's salvation to become your reality. For you to be able to become a child of God. Then verse 25, check this out, says this, but now that faith has come, faith has come when Christ Jesus came, beat death on your and my behalf, and he lived a perfect life, what you and I should have lived. Now by our faith, we have access to his grace, forgiveness of our sin and eternal life and something else that I'll tell you in a second about. But he says, now faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor. In other words, we no longer have to look to what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong to Figure out whether we're okay with God. You don't have to any longer look to right and bad, good and ev- good and bad, right and wrong, to figure out if you're okay with God. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What defines your identity as being okay with God right now is if you have faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Your faith brings the definition righteousness, rightness in standing before God. And then it says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, and therefore there is now no longer any identity that is more superior to that identity of being, I am a righteous son of God. I am a Christian. You can be American, South African, you can be Mexican, you can be whatever. None of those apply anymore when it comes to whether that makes you right before God or not. Male nor female, slave nor free, not even, not even gender has, has a way to define whether you're going to be more right with God or not. Purely the fact that you have clothed, you've been clothed with Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in Him. That, if that is your reality, then this is true of you, what follows. Um, So if you then belong to Christ, then you are Abram's descendants and heirs according to the promise. It means that now you have become a partaker of the goodness of God's kingdom. You have been included in his household. And therefore the the realities, the privileges, the favor and the provision of his household has now become open and accessible to yours. It has become yours. The house of God is now your house and everything that is in it. You know what's in the house of God? Peace. Joy, love, acceptance, no longer performance, no more having to prove myself better than the other, humility, no competition, I've made it. That's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a reality we experience today. Not one day when we go to heaven. Jesus said, Doesn't the kingdom come the minute you get healed of something or the minute something in your heart heals up? Isn't that the kingdom of God manifesting itself? Yes. And so for each and every one of us, when you got born again, that was the kingdom of God. 
becoming a reality in your life and you were included in it. And every single time God provides something, every single time you're taught something, every single time God fixes something in your life, that's you experiencing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God needs to increase in your life every single day. And it will if you're a son. But if you're a slave, it won't. If you're a worker, you won't experience the benefit of Christianity because for you, it'll always be a duty. For you, it'll always be never done. Always still have to do one more thing before it will happen for me. So the Bible uses this word for children, uses different words for children, but they might be translated as children. Um, And then sometimes it uses the word son. And, and, And remember that they talk about different phases or realities of our relationship with God. The one is really you have become a son. And let me say something about adoption here. Because think about this. God did not have to make us his children. He could have just forgiven us as his creatures. I'm no longer going to hold you accountable for what you did wrong. And forgiven us. So he could have justified us from our sin. He did not have to also adopt us as his children. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's not just about you not sinning. It's about you becoming a son. It's about you stepping into an intimate, close, amazing relationship with a dad that loves you, thinks the world about you, and wants great things for your life. He wants to walk with you. He wants to guide you. He wants to correct you. He wants to train you. He wants to celebrate you and promote you and give you a platform. That is the heart of God. But we miss that if we just think it's about, okay, I don't have to, I, 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 I'm forgiven of my sin. The beauty of the gospel is the adoption part. Okay. The sin forgiveness part is pretty neat. I'll, you know, I'll agree. <laughs> we needed that to get to the other one. But he didn't have to add adoption. But we are being adopted as his sons. And so this is just shows again the heart of God. He loves us. He loves us and he wants that closeness with each and every one of us. But he also wants us to grow. So listen to what Ephesians 4 says. So, so that we may no longer be children that are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Think about what it says here. It says that God does not want us to stay children. He does not want us to stay the immature, ignorant, me-centered, need-focused children of God. He wants us to become mature. He wants us to become stable. He wants us to be able to withstand any form of challenge, any form of wrong ideas that the world might try to put on us. Any form of even sometimes people come with great ideas, but they're not God ideas. And what they do is they tell you, hey, you can't just believe in Jesus. You have to add X, Y, and Z before you can get really saved. Those are also religious And they're also not from God. And God wants us to be able to recognize that and know that our foundations are strong. We are sons of God by virtue of our faith in Christ Jesus. And now living with that perspective, not trying to find out the whole time whether I'm good through my deeds, but knowing that I'm good by virtue of my faith. Verse 15 says, rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. See, Jesus is the son of God. 
He's our model of sonship. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Jesus went about doing good, delivering all those who were oppressed of the devil, but he did only what he saw his father doing. He said, I am about my father's business. He wasn't about himself. And so sometimes people sound very spiritual when they have all this faith, you know, for their own prosperity. But you know what? That is just still about you. You haven't become a son that sees the, the heart and the desire of the father as more important than your own need and your own ambition and desires. And look at me, I, list, I lived in that reality for a very long time because it was difficult for me. I felt like I was losing because I didn't have the mentality of sonship. I didn't realize that everything in God's kingdom is mine. And so I, I was trying to achieve and trying to, you know, even as a, even as a um, you know, in my, in my previous ministry, in black, I was trying to, trying to uh, you know, achieve things. And, and I was trying to um, uh, prove, you know, that, um, that my leadership and prove, you know, that, that God um, has called me into this thing. And, I, and essentially, I was, I was a worker. I strived instead of flowed. I went ahead of the Holy Spirit instead of just following in his wake, instead of slipping into his slipstream and just getting pulled forward by him. God wants us to slip into his slipstream and follow along with him. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. They no longer worry about their own things. They know God knows what they need. They're like, Lord, it's not a question of what what you can do for me anymore. Lord, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? When Christ was in the garden and he said, Lord, I would sure want to miss this whole deal, but let not my will be done, but let your will be done. That's the response of a son. I don't care if I get my way or not. I want your way to be realized. Galatians 4, let's read from Galatians 4. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. We might become more than just people that works for God, people that tries to live right, tries to do good, but people who are good, people who have been made right through his grace and now loves to follow in his footsteps sonship because you are his sons verse 6 says god sent the spirit of his son into your heart and that spirit on the inside of you calls out abba father abba father the the kind of equal term in english would be daddy the spirit of god on the inside of you wants to address god as daddy let me ask you this. How do you address God? When you pray to Him, what do you call Him? Better yet, let's ask this question. When you talk about God, how do you refer to Him? See the big man upstairs? See the eye in the sky? Is He the, you know, the creator? Is He the boss? The big boss? You see, we can learn a lot of our relationship with God by how we talk about Him and how we address Him. The Spirit of God on the inside of you wants you to call Him Dad. 
wants you to call him dad. Is there a person in your life that you call dad? Many of us have that privilege. Others don't. But God wants to be your dad. He doesn't just want to be your master. So what's the difference between being a slave and a son? Well, first of all, a slave sees God as his master. You are essentially an employee and he is the boss. And you know what's also real in an employee, employer scenario? Fear. Slaves are intimidated by their master. You're living in a reality where you always think of God as wanting to punish you for what you did wrong. Just looking, just ready. I mean, once if that cuss word leaves your mouth, you're already like grabbing like, well, don't hit me, don't hit me. Like sometimes my boy, you know, in, in certain scenarios, when I maybe come, to, come on too strong, he grabs his bums and he goes, like, don't hit me, don't hit me. You know, are you, uh, Buxla, that's our word for, you know, are you, are you going to give me a hiding? Are you going to give me a hiding? And I have to help him to become a son, not a child that fears judgment. Not a worker that fears my wrath. Whoa, missed my, forgot my place. See, so many times we read the Bible. Let me just ask you, when you open up the Bible, do you find all the things that you do wrong first? Do you see how that Bible tells you how unfinished you are as a person? What do you see when you open up the Bible? If studying the Bible for you is even to try and find out what is right about your life and what is wrong and, and, and try to kind of see how you can fix that, then that's more akin to an employee studying the standard ops and procedures of a company and trying to just, just kind of, you know, live within that and not, not do something wrong so that he doesn't get what? Fired, right? God doesn't want us to live like that with him. He doesn't want us to open up the Bible as like, okay, this is the standard ops and procedures and you need a, uh, this is the minimum standards. How many of you have asked that question? How much can I sin and still go to heaven? <laughs> it's kind of the same uh, approach. God wants us to live in a much greater experience of him. And when you open up the word of God, you see something different. I'm going to get to that in a second. There was two trees in the Garden of Eden when God created. The one tree was called the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge of right and wrong. Some of us approach the Bible like that. This book teaches me what's right and what's wrong. But you know what God said to Adam? Stay away from that tree. Don't go close to that tree. Don't eat from that tree. You know what you need to focus on? Every afternoon, you and I are going to go for a walkabout. And we're going to discuss things. We're going to talk through what needs to happen next. I'm going to tell you what I want to see done. And then you're going to say, okay, I think this is how we're going to do it. And I'm going to go, okay, good plan. Let's get going. God was discipling Adam through relationship, 
not through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God doesn't want his word to be for us a book of right and wrongs. He wants his word for us to be a book of relationship. When I open up the Bible, I first and foremost see a loving father who affirms me, who loves me, who have completed me and now has celebrating my role in his kingdom. And he shows me how to do that so that I can walk in honor with him. It's an entirely different perspective. Look, I used to hate reading the Bible. For a long time, even as, after being ordained as a pastor, I, I, I lived in, and tried to work this sense of duty and this, this worker mentality out of my life. And, and I had to relearn how to enjoy reading the Bible. Because, you know, nobody likes reading something that judges them the whole time. Nobody likes reading something that makes them feel bad the whole time. But when I realize that this book doesn't try to show me how bad I am, it tries to tell me how completed I have become. It tries to tell me how much the Son has done on my behalf and that I now have the privilege to just stand on top of. Having received that for free, having received that without effort, having received that by my faith in His grace, I stand on top of all my imperfection, having been perfected in Christ Jesus. I stand with Him in heavenly places. I'm no longer condemned. I'm being called righteous. That's how God wants us to see the Bible. So if you want to see God as your master, you're never going to get there. You have to realize that God wants to be daddy. He wants to be your father. A son sees God as father. Not as master. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time came, come, um, had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Sons have fathers. Masters have employees. They don't have, they have slaves. They have workers. They don't have sons. God wants to be our father. You know, the Bible initially talks about Jesus as the only begotten Son of God. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That's the Gospels. But later on in Scripture, you read that He has become the firstborn of many sons. And you and I have been included in that family. So, instead... From the mentality of being a son, you open up scripture and it affirms you. It celebrates you and it shows you how complete you have become. And then, like that one said, it puts a new yoke on you. It gives you purpose. It tells you how to use this amazing blessing that you've been given to honor God and to advance this kingdom of his to other, so other people might also experience the same blessing. But it's no longer a duty. It's like when I reach out to my neighbor, I don't go to my neighbor and go like, so, you know, Mr. Bill, I need, a, I need to talk to you about Jesus. Um, kind of the Bible says that, you know, uh, this is what we need to do. And so here I am. Um, let me read you from this little track that I have here. Okay, good. No, I just love Mr. Bill. Just love him. And I just serve with him. I, we talk about both our properties and, you know, and everything. And every now and then the topic of God comes up and, you know, I'll add some thoughts and he might say some things. I'll respond to that and... But I love doing that because I love Mr. Bill and I love God. And, and I don't do that because of a sense of duty. I do that because of love. I've been filled with love. Now I can, I can show love to other people. Sonship makes all the difference in our experience of our relationship with God. You see, 
like the employee who pursues not the standards and procedures, not the minimum standards of what must I do and not get in trouble, but the one who actually studies not that document, he studies a different document. He studies the values and mission statement of the company. He studies the objectives that have been set by the owner, and he makes it his effort, his, his, his objective, to help achieve those things. That employee has an entirely different work experience because the vision of the company becomes more important to him than what he has to put in. And the same for us in the kingdom of God, the house of God. It's important. At some point, God's agenda for this world becomes more important to a son than our own lives. To the point where some are willing to die for Jesus. Being sent anywhere to go and follow and pursue the call that God has placed them on, the, 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 the task that God has given them. To go into the same workplace that they've been going as a, a slave of God and all of a sudden start living as a son. See your workplace entirely different. You see, a son of God isn't bothered by a sinful workplace. He sees that as a place where he needs to bring God's love. But God wants us to grow into sonship. And you can't grow into sonship if you don't accept him as your father. And here's another thing. You can't grow into sonship if you don't become intimate with God. Instead of being intimidated by your master, God wants you to experience intimacy with him. Now, I know for men, that is, I mean, <laughs> you know, intimacy with another man. Woo, where are you going with this, pastor? When I pick up my son and he kisses me on my face out of his own will, that's intimacy. When I whisper into his ear, I love you. I love you. And as a three-year-old boy, he returns the favor. <laughs> I'm just astounded by that. My daughters, when I tell them I love them, they give me the biggest hugs that a dad can ever get. That's intimacy. And it's not weird. It's perfect. You know what? My son is going to grow up not confused about his identity. Neither are my daughters because they receive intimacy with me. I kiss them as much as I can. Tell them I love them as much as I can. But because we haven't received that, we kind of don't know how to experience that from God. Listen, God wants to tell you he loves you every single moment of every day. God wants you to know that you are special to him every single moment of every day. He has a great plan for your life. But most of all, he wants you to know that you are his daughter, you are, you are his son, and he has accepted you, and he celebrates your life. God wants you to experience intimacy with him. Intimacy with God gives you confidence in the world. It sets your identity so that nothing can sway you from pursuing what he desires, what he loves, what he values. Galatians 4, 6, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Sorry, I read that one. We sometimes, sorry, we sometimes think of um, the term daddy as being an infant term. It's not. It's actually an intimacy term. It's an intimacy term. And the Bible encourages us that the spirit of God living on the inside of you wants you to call him daddy. He wants you to step into that relationship with him. 
I know as we grow up and so forth, you know, we don't at every corner call our dad's daddy and our mom's mommy. But we still retain that intimacy with God, that special place where I know that I'm his son and nothing can change that. Even if I make mistakes, I don't fear that I'm going to get thrown out of the house because God has told me something that I want to share with you as I close. You see, as a, as a child, I didn't have a relationship with my earthly father that was, um, that was intimate and, and that from whom I can learn spiritual guidance and, and how to relate to God, etc. And so he was a very hard man. He grew up with a very hard father. And, you know, in learning more about that, I realized how much my dad did better than my grandpa did with him. And I honor him for that. I also honor my dad for how he, how he instilled in me identity and self-worth. Um, but one thing he couldn't teach me is how to walk with God. And uh, because of him not really pursuing, spiritually pursuing God, I never had a model for that. And my dad and I often used to get in conflict. When I was good with God, I was bad with my dad. I was bad with my dad, I was good with God. When it was, you know, and uh, um, so one day, you know, my dad and I had a fallout and he chased me out of the house told me to go find a different house you know my son anymore and uh um man that was that was the worst day of my life um and uh in fact my mom intervened and you know after about a day of, of talking you know i was allowed back and um but that marked my relationship with god that made me see god as one that could at any minute snap and just be, that's it, you're done. I'm done with you. And for a person who, who came out of some, some um, patterns of habit sins, that was extremely hard for me to walk. And so I, I was in this performance mentality. I, I, you know, I was afraid that God would judge me. He would reject me. He would take away my dreams. And one day I was just, I was just, you know, dutifully reading my Bible and, you know, doing what needs to be done because, you know, that's the way you start the day right. The Holy Spirit just visited me in my room and I just experienced God say to me, you are my son and I am your father. I will never cut you off or out of my plan. And I immediately knew what God meant by that. I knew God wanted, to, God wanted to come and change my relationship with Him. He wanted me to realize that He would not be, He would not make that same mistake. He would not do the mistake my dad made by chasing me away. Even if I made a mess, even if I, if I disappointed Him, even if I chose to walk away from Him. The Bible says, He remains faithful even if we are unfaithful. God has never rejected you. If you have believed in Jesus, as your, it doesn't matter where you are, God has not rejected you. He has accepted you. But now He wants to call you into sonship. He wants to call you into growing up, into His image. If you've been serving God with a, a worker mentality, trying to figure out what's right and wrong and how do I just stay in between those lines, Man, it must have been pretty hard for you up till now. Trying to please God and living in that uncertainty of, am I pleasing to Him? and Am I doing it right? God wants to release you from that today. He wants to put His yoke on you. 
which will give you assignment, which will tell you how to live, discipline and correct you when you're wrong, but never from a place of judgment, never from a place of not loving you. Let's all close our eyes. Let's all stand and close our eyes. I want to ask you if you, if you might have been serving God as a worker and you want to just embark on a journey of becoming a son to Him, I want you to, to tell Him that right now in your own words. Quiet as you, as you are there. You don't have to pray out loud. Just in your heart right now. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've been, I've been operating like a slave. Like somebody that has to. I want to be a son to you. I want to experience the delight of walking with you. I want to experience the, the release, not the restriction of being your child. I want to walk with you and enjoy it. I want to live in your freedom and experience the full freedom that you died on the cross for in my life, in my relationships. I want to be your son. I want to walk as a son before you. Lord, you see people's hearts. You see their struggle. You see, Lord, you see the difficulty they have in, in living up to the expectations of religious society, Lord. And I thank you that today you free us from all of that. And you invite us into a journey. You invite us to come walk with you. You invite us to, to just step out of has to and duty and step into want to and delight. I pray that our church will be a church that overflows with joy, Lord God. Our church will be a church that overflows with peace. Father, I pray that our church will be a church that works harder than any other place. Not because we try to prove anything, not because we try to be anybody, but simply because we've just become so in love with your work, with your agenda, with your church, with, with your kingdom, with what you want to achieve, that we, we want to give ourselves to it willingly, Lord God. I pray when we read what your scripture guides us into, we won't see it as a job, but we would see it absolutely as our privilege. We'll see it as our honor that we have been chosen to walk in that, Lord God. I pray for, for that journey that individual people has to go on to transition from a worker mentality into a place of sonship, that they might take those steps, Lord God. Repent of their religious mindset. Know that they have pleased you and that you have called them into son, being sons. See you as their father. Pursue intimacy with you, Lord God, from which comes the power to live out your will in our walk. Holy Spirit, I pray that our church might be known as a church that is led by the Spirit of God. We are led by the Spirit of God because we operate as sons. Your work is our delight. It's our absolute pleasure. Work on our hearts, Lord God. Help us to grow into your likeness. I pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. I know this might be somewhat new to many of you. That's why God brought me here. It's to help grow us. Help grow us into a, all of what He had died for. What He purchased on the cross. Let us not settle for less than. 
because he paid a great price to obtain that for us. I want to send you out with the joy of the Lord because that is what the kingdom of God helps do. Brings joy out of our hearts. Establishes peace in our minds that we're good with God and that we get to enjoy the walk with him. Let me pray over you as we go. And I want to, oh yeah, and, and let me just say thank you so much for everybody who is continuously contributing. Um, this is your family. And there's something that could be said about sonship and giving because a son doesn't see it as something that he, you know, uh, has to do. A son sees it as something that he gets to do. And we'll talk more about um, our, our dream team and, and all that in future times. But for now, I want you to focus on being a son to God. And, we, and we'll see the outflow of that in very, very many aspects of our walk. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just the faithful giving of this amazing church. Lord, you've got a plan for us. You're sending us, Lord. You're yoking us with your restful purpose so that we might go out and enjoy life with you and walk in such a way that others become jealous of wanting of the, how we know you and how we walk with you and that they might want to see that you come do that for them in their lives too. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.